morning, family. Some of you I just met for the first time, and you guys didn't know. Eh, I think I'll leave it out. Uh, you, you guys didn't know you had an Indian brother. <laughs> so I, I remind people of that because of this uh, issue. It's an issue. Um, so if I annoy you today, think about this. You get to spend eternity with me. But I'm really happy to be here with all of you. And I am celebrating this amazing facility that the Lord has provided for you guys to meet in. We, we were just talking about this, these stories of Jericho Road's building things have to be written down somewhere. That in itself gives an amazing testimony of what the Lord has done in and through this church family. But you know what? I, I, am, I am incredibly thankful, yes, for the building, but even more for leaders like Jim and Nicole, for Brian and Janine, for Nancy, who I didn't get to say hi to her, but I was, I, this morning when I woke up, I said, I said, hey, I get to be a part of Nancy leading worship this morning. I remember the last time she was leading. I was so excited, so, so thankful, and for the team. I am thankful to, to, for you and, and excited to work with elders and a leadership board like you guys have. I'm telling you, what you guys have here in leadership in this church is an amazing, amazing God-appointed, put-together group. They wait in prayer. They, they wait on the Lord, and He moves in amazing stuff in and through them. And I am so thankful and so excited for you guys. I, I can't wait. I, I'm, I'm always in this thing. When Jim calls me, I'm always in this thing of, what's the next story? <laughs> because I know there's one coming. That's a great place to be. So I have to tell you that that one of the things that I'm going to do is go into a message today that I'm not entirely comfortable with, okay? Every message that the Lord has uh, preached through me has always in some way worked through my life, which makes it really uncomfortable. Because everything I preach, one way or the other, He has begun to dig into me or has been working in and through me for a long time so if there's some place in the message where I just break down, I'm sorry, guys. I'm telling you ahead of time. This stuff is personal, and it's raw right now. Okay? If you guys can put up with that for me, that would be great. But I'm going to go into 1 Kings 19, and, I, and it's a large passage. It's 1 through 19. I'm not going verse by verse, but I want to read that section for you and catch you up to the story. So I'm going to tell you the pre part of this verse, and then I'm going to tell you sort of where this verse ends up, and then we'll read the middle section together. All right? Let's pray. Let's start there. Lord God, I, I'm thankful and so, so excited about all that you are doing in Muskegon, in and through this church family, in and through this leadership. Lord, your hand is upon this part of your family, your body, so powerfully, so heavy. 
and I am thankful for the ways that you are working in them and through them to reach, yes, who attends here, but so much more. This community reaching in leadership in so many ways through this district, in reaching, Lord, across this nation, in reaching even to the ends of the earth, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Lord, you are at work in and through this church family. So this morning, Lord, as I come with this word which you have laid on my heart, I come understanding that there's something you want to speak here. Help us to listen, Lord. Help us to hear you. Spirit of God, would you make our heart attentive? Would you, Lord, make me attentive that I might hear you and speak only what it is you want? Use me, Lord, as you will. In Jesus' name, amen. If any of you know Elijah, that name, right? You probably know the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. That's usually what everyone knows about Elijah. So here's this great, awesome, powerful event where Elijah has kind of done a showdown with the prophets of Baal. There's 400 of them, and there's one of him. All right? They have a fake God. He has God Almighty. The showdown goes through this whole sacrifice process. They're going crazy, doing all kinds of stuff, cutting themselves. He's making jokes. That's a really funny passage, by the way, if you hear what Elijah is saying to the prophets. He goes through all of this stuff that's going on, and nothing happens to their sacrifice, although they wait. And he says, let's make this harder. Wet wood doesn't burn, right? Let's dump as much water as we can on this wood. And so they go through this whole process. He makes it a hundred times harder. And then God goes, whoo! And the entire sacrifice and all the water in the ditch around it, it says everything is consumed in like one second. And God proves himself to be God. The prophets of Baal have been put to death. Elijah was used over and over again to address the issue of idolatry in Israel. And that was one of those defining moments where the issue of idolatry is dealt with and God used him. Boom! There it was. The answer. Wouldn't it be great if God always answered that way? You know that guy who cut you off in traffic, right? Not that I would ever do that. <laughs> so, so we're at the end of that passage, all right? That's where we are. So that just happened, and there's been a famine on the land that Elijah actually called down on the land because of their sin. And Elijah begins to pray right after that happens and says, Lord, lift the famine. And he waits, and he waits, and he sees this little cloud starting to approach, and he knows that God is answering. And so... He then takes off, and that's where our passage is. Now Ahab, who was the king of the land, the evil king, and Jezebel, the instigator of all that was evil in Israel, his wife, Ahab and Jezebel. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May God, the gods deal with me, be it so, ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. 
Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. That's one of my, huh? When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, a Dyson tree upside down. No, I don't know. <laughs> he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He's a little bit of a drama queen. <laughs> then he lay under the, under the tree and he fell asleep. All at once, the angel, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Here's my next, huh? Strengthened by that food... He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. God's response, nothing. Verse 11. Then the Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great powerful wind tore through the mountains and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Does God have a memory problem? Mr. Drama Queen, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down. Yeah, the same stuff again. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Heziel, king over Aram, anoint Jehu, whole bunch of names. I want us to pay attention to this piece a moment. So it tells us in Scripture that Elijah takes off from the mountain, Mount Carmel, where he has seen this amazing thing, and the rain has started. And it tells us that the king set out on his chariot, and Elijah starts to run. And he runs faster than the chariot, the horse chariot that's being drawn to go to take the king, he runs faster than the chariot and gets to Jezreel. Don't you wonder what Elijah was expecting when he got to Jezreel? 
I think from what he saw at the mountain, I think he expected the God of power, the Lord on the mountain, I think he expected to see fire fall, evil destroyed. He, I think he expected to see repentance or judgment at least if it wasn't for fire, right? Instead, he comes to an absolutely uncontrite, I don't think that's a word, Jezebel who says, I'm going to make you like the prophets of Baal. And he turns and runs. Jezebel is going to kill him. What? You, you, you ever have this happen to you? I, I don't mean Jezebel, maybe, but you ever see the Lord answer something in power? You see his hand so powerfully, perfectly guiding and leading you, and when you get there, it is the worst possible thing ever when you get into it. And you go, wait, did I hear wrong? Did I follow the wrong person? What just happened? I did everything, right? And here, what, what happened here? And you step in and everything in your life seems to suddenly start falling apart. You're running for your life. Your career is falling apart. A life situation has taken you over. Your kids are acting weird. I mean, weirder than usual. <laughs> Everything seems to be coming apart. Nothing is like you expected when you got there. I see a few of you nodding your heads. I have often got to those places and have had two responses. Why? And the new one that I've learned over the last eight years is, what are you doing, Lord? I have found out that my why questions often don't get very good answers. What are you doing seems to begin to reveal the hand of the Lord. Questions matter. Back to the story. So, just giving you distances, all right? So, when this happens, it tells us that Elijah runs for Beersheba. You know how far away Beersheba is from Jezreel? 100 miles. That, that's like beyond, that's a triple ultra marathon. 100 miles? He was trying to get as far away as he could. Was he? Yeah, yeah, sort of. But in a particular direction. He runs 100 miles, gets to Beersheba, drops off his servant, says, I don't want you to follow me anymore. And he goes another day and night into the desert, into the wilderness to go and die. So when he gets there, he finds this Dyson tree and lays down at the bottom of it and goes to sleep. And the Lord appears to him. 
By the way, when you see angel of the Lord in lots of places in the Old Testament, it's usually God himself showing up. So the angel of the Lord shows up, comes and brings him food and water. No answers. No suggestions of what to do next. He brings him food and water. Elijah is tired. He's exhausted. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually in a battle, cognitively confused by what he's seen. He's done. He's just done. God brings no lectures, no advice, simply bread and water for him to drink. Let's him sleep. Wakes him up. Let's him sleep. Elijah wakes up, and what does he do? He's strengthened by what just happened. So he sits quietly in the presence of the Lord. Nope, it's not what it says. He gets up and initiates another journey. This time, 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb. Who knows the other name for Mount Horeb and pastors not allowed? It is Mount Sinai. Somebody said it here. Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Mount Sinai is the mountain of the Lord where Israel has seen God act in particular ways. He initiates a journey, all his own idea, to go to the mountain of the Lord to go look for God. Did God tell him to go anywhere? I just want to confirm this. Did you hear anywhere in that passage that God told him to go anywhere? N no. God met him where? Under the broom tree. He initiates a journey. 40 days, 40 nights, goes, into, goes to Mount Sinai. In fact, God seems kind of irritated when he does talk to Elijah when he gets there. What are you doing here? Right? What are you doing here? Inflection matters. And Elijah goes into this spiel, right? He goes into this declaration of all of the things that he has done, and he has come to seek out the Lord because he's the only one left who serves the Lord. God ignores him. He ignores all of the drama. And then it tells us that the Lord sent a pop band from the 70s and 80s to come and meet with Elijah. What? Why are you guys laughing? Earth, wind, and fire. It's right there. <laughs> Did you guys not read this? And God is not in it. And Elijah is getting the point. You know why? Because when God whispers, Elijah covers his head. 
Elijah came looking for God in a particular way. He wanted God to act in a particular way. And God confronts him with all of it. And then comes in a whisper. And Elijah knows it. And God asks him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? When God asks a question twice, it's not because God has a memory problem. It is because the person who he's asking the question hasn't got it yet. The point is the person's understanding of what's going on. It is not that God does not understand what is going on. God doesn't respond to his self-pity. He does not respond to his claims. In fact, what he tells him to do, if you follow the directions afterwards, is he tells him to go all the way back from where he came. And then as an exit comment, he says, oh, by the way, you're not the only one. I've got thousands who have not bent their knee to Baal. You guys tracking with me? I want you to pay attention to these three things because I'm going to bridge this across to the gospel and then to us. Maybe you're already starting to connect the bridges. Elijah expected God to act in a certain way in Jezreel. When God did not meet him the way that Elijah expected, he ran away. The issue of expectations is what I want you to pay attention to. Instead of paying attention to God who appeared to him at the broom tree, Elijah seems to not so much like that appearance. And so he goes to Horeb looking for the God he wanted rather than the God who showed up. He didn't want a table-waiting God. He wanted a God of power, of Moses who met on the mountain. Anyone touches this mountain and you will die. He wanted that God. This table-waiting God. Eh. Who wants him? Elijah wanted God to behave in the way that he expected him to behave. In other words, Elijah wanted a God in his own image the way Elijah defined God to be. Oh, but flip over to the New Testament and you will see the same thing again. It is part of the story of the gospel. The Jews in Jesus' time were under Roman occupation. They expected Messiah to come a particular way, correct? Their biggest problem with him was, but you're not the God we imagined. You're not the Messiah we imagined. Jesus comes in weakness, in a way quite unexpected. He was born to an unwed teenager in a stable, weak, 
needing to grow up in wisdom and stature. He came riding on a donkey instead of a war horse. He came serving tables, washing feet. Ew! <laughs> Hanging out with gluttons and drunks. He didn't meet their expectations. And, and, and so they tried to kill him. Some theologians think that perhaps Judas' betrayal of him is motivated by this Messiah piece that surely if he betrayed him and they tried to kill him, suddenly he would come out as the powerful God they were expecting. But no, Jesus disappoints even that, and he dies. What the heck? What kind of a Messiah is this? He wasn't who they expected. Yet God chose the cross to save people like you and me. This unexpected appearance, this God who was not according to the image that was in the minds of the Pharisees. <laughs> the God who was God. Not the expectations of the people. They didn't meet his expectations, they crucified him. How about us today? How about us today? Is God letting you down on your expectations? Is life not turning out what you thought it would be like if you followed Jesus? But, 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 but I, I thought following Jesus means I'll be happy all the day. <laughs> no? Disappointed? Disappointment comes from expectations. Unmet expectations disorient us. They confuse us. They begin to distort what we know as truth. The issue is the wrongful expectation. There is a right expectation, and then there is the other. This kind of expectation tends to distort even what we know as truth over time. And distorted truth then begins to live itself out as self-pity, self-absorption, and believing that we are the only ones in the whole world who suffer this. And drama queen syndrome sets in. Maybe you don't know that expectations is where this started. Expectations of God. But you know the drama queen part. I'm just telling you, that's where it's coming from. That's the root. Are your formulas not working? 
You know what I mean by formulas? We, we like predictable, controllable things, right? And so to predict and control, we figure out the formula in everything. So I do this and this, and then I do this and this, and everything turns out like this. And life goes, nah. <laughs> you do this and this, and you do this and this, and you get a big egg at the end. What just happened? How many of us approach God that way? I, I thought I, I never approach God that way. I'm much too theologically sophisticated to approach God that way. What I was actually saying was, I would never say it that way, but that was my expectation. But, but, but I, I gave all this up for you. And my formulas were not working anymore. God, you're not showing up like I thought you were going to show up. The longer we have walked with the Lord, the scarier this piece is because some of those formulas have become hardwired until God has to break it loose from our life so that we pay attention to Him instead of us and our formula. Creating a God in our own image. <laughs> Elijah was used to drive out idolatry from Israel. And when we get to this part of the story, turns out Elijah has an idol, a God in his own image. Is that not scary to you guys? This is a man who God over and over again says, stands in my presence. And he was caught up in the very thing he was trying to drive out. When we find ourselves in these places, it's really important for us to ask the question, am I centering myself in truth or emotion. Because when we enter into these places where God is not acting like I expected, our emotions go on overdrive, right? And suddenly we don't seem to know what truth is and what lie is anymore. I'm telling you, brothers, sisters, the only thing that we have is to be able to go back to what we actually knew in the last part of our life, in the last season as truth. That is the only place we can go back to. The cross is the only place we can go back to. The nature of God, the nature and character of God is the only place that you can go back to because everything inside feels like Elijah. Everything inside is crying out, God, you're not showing up. Did you forget me? Scripture says that you were made by God 
that you were made for God and that you were made for his glory. That you were made by his design. Not one cell in your body is there by accident. Every cell was put exactly where he wanted it to be. There are no accidents with God, that you are made for God, that whatever else you chase in this life, that he is the only one who can satisfy. He says that he will never forsake you or leave you. He's not going anywhere. That is truth. But what does it feel like? It feels like, God, where did you go? And Scripture tells us that we were made for his glory. We're not here for our glory. We're not here for people to see our character and then to praise us. We're here so that they see God's character in us and praise Him. Made by God, made for God, made for His glory. That truth of what Scripture says in Isaiah 43, 7 and Colossians 1 and so many other places in Scripture does not change. Therefore, what I know is that whatever this is, I am still His. I am still here by His design. I am still here because God wants me here for some reason. And he is not about to leave or forsake me. He is not about to abandon what he made and he designed for his glory. Whatever I walk through, he is sufficient for me. God's character his nature, his unchangingness, that's where we run. His purposefulness in all that he does. It may not be micro-purpose. It may be a purpose that is bigger than you and I. It may be that what you are walking through right now affects people four generations from now. I may never live to see the why. God knows and understands I serve a sovereign God who Scripture says works all things together for good. That peace is not limited to my lifespan. It's not limited to me feeling good. It is extended over generations, over all eternity. I don't need to make another God. He is God. Crisis and trial always reveal where our relationship is with God. Are we actually His or do we possess Him? Please hear the question again. Are we His or do we own Him? I am his and he is mine. That's talking relationship. I am his also means that he is Lord, master, owner of my life. I don't own him. 
If he is God, he is God. Family, raw question. How many of us pray transactional? Don't put your hands up. Don't answer. You know what I mean by transaction? I'm this person. You owe me. I did this, this, and this for you. You owe me, God. I gave my life to you. You, you owe me, God. Is that a relationship? But the minute we've gone transactional, understand that we're already beginning to create a God in our own image. A God who behaves. A God who shows up as a genie or a butler when we call him. Because he owes us. Is that the God you see in the Bible? As you go through trials, do you come out with tenderness and love towards others and towards God? Or do you come out with bitterness and hardness? By the way, that's one of the ways you can tell what your expectations were, is when you've walked through it. Has your heart softened towards God and other people, or has your heart, has your heart hardened? Tells us of those expectations. The questions we ask and the conclusions that we come to are important. If you base everything on what you feel, you will come to some strange conclusions. Is God speaking to you about something? Is there a battle you're wrestling in? Is there something stirring up inside? Are you remembering prayers? Is somebody or some situation on your heart that you've been trying really hard to twist God's arm on? I never know why God gives me passages. I only know to bring it. I don't need to know. It's between you and him. But I'm going to lead us in a moment of just prayer. This morning, there were specific things that he was bringing up to me. I'll pray those. You can add your own. But let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for the transparent lives in Scripture. Thank you that you do not hide the weaknesses of your servants. We see ourselves, Lord, in them. I have been in many of those places, Lord, where you did not meet my expectations and I have gone some strange places until you pointed this stuff out to me. I don't know, Lord, all that's going on in this church family. But you do. 
Father, would you forgive us if our responses are revealing that we have made an idol in our own image? Father, would you forgive us if our relationship with you has become strictly transactional? We have lost our first love. Now it's do this, do that, no longer the joy of knowing you that overwhelms us. Lord, would you forgive us when we say that we can trust you with eternity, but we can trust you with whatever it is right now that is going on in our life. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, your word is filled, filled with stories of you calling your people back to yourself, saying, be mine. Would you just be mine? Lord, this morning I sense you calling to this church family, calling them to be all yours, not giving in to the emotions as our Lord, not giving in to our expectations as our Lord, not giving in to what the world says we should have, not giving in to even what our own flesh chases after, but Lord, completely, totally given to you to be yours, whatever comes, whatever happens, whatever is the answer or not the answer, to be yours fully. Lord, I pray and ask that it would be so in each one of our lives. We were made by you, Lord. We were made for you. And we were made for your glory. Father, as you called to us, help us to know and see, to understand. That even when things are not predictable for us, we know, we can trust that you are good that you will always do what is righteous and true and just, that you will always do what it is that brings your praise, your glory, your name lifted high. May this be sufficient, Lord, for us. Bless my family, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.